Well, we have an unusual podcast for you this week. We had the pleasure and privilege of having a conversation with the director of the hit TV show, The Big Bang Theory, none other than Mark Sandrowski. And here's our conversation. Give us a little bit of your background story. You know, how, uh, were you, did you always aspire to get into show business when you were younger, or, or did you kind of fall into that after college? Let it, tell well, us how it, it happened. It's interesting. As, as a kid, I grew up, a good friend of mine is Dave Coulier. We grew up together in St. Clair Shores, Michigan. And he was the class clown, and I was always the prompter of the class clown, where it would be, hey, why don't you try doing this? This will be funny, which he would then do and get in trouble. And I would not, I would sit back and let him get the tension and have to stay after school and I would laugh about it. And we always thought it was fun. And we did, we screwed around a lot in grade school. It carried on into high school. We, uh, we went to high school together, Notre Dame High School on the east side in sure. Harper Woods. And we would do announcements in the morning. We would, he would screw around at lunchtime doing impressions of teachers and, and, and I'd prompt them on things. And then uh, eventually we did a comedy show and uh, it was to make money we said to pray, pay for our prom um, <laughs> but it got a little bigger than we thought we had like a thousand people show up and it was like oh my goodness this is this is amazing and we ended up doing another show uh three weeks later because it was successful and it was like hey we can make money doing this um and after after school we i went to school i went to the university of michigan continued it on um where i actually started a comedy club there dave moved out to los angeles after a couple of years came back and then uh i knew i always wanted to be involved in the entertainment industry okay when i was in at michigan then i majored in film and television realized uh, this is a good way to keep my hand in it um but it was a little again prompting being behind the scenes right um and with an, with an eye towards directing. I used to write and performed a little bit, and it was, okay. always, it was always fun to do and keep my hand in it. But uh, then uh, once I graduated, moved to L.A., and it was to, to make my mark in Hollywood, and uh, eventually it came to fruition. Okay, um, now did you do any type of theater yourself, in, in, like acting-wise, or were you always sort of behind-the-scenes act, person? Act, it was mostly behind-the-scenes. Acting, okay. like I said, we performed in uh, uh, high school with the shows, right. doing the comedy shows. Um, in LA and in Detroit for a while, I did some stand-up okay. just to sell jokes, write jokes, help with the writing process. My brother and I had a comedy team for a while. He played the accordion, which you don't see too often. Mm -hmm. um, and we performed quite a bit. We worked, he came out and we performed in LA for a little while. Um, but it was more, I never wanted to be a comic. Um, it was more of a hobby. It was sure. like golfing. Okay. You know, I enjoyed it golfing, and, yeah. but didn't want to make a living at it. And the same with the stand-up. It, it met a lot of people, uh, hung out at the comedy store for, you know, for years with Dave, and worked, ended up working with guys like Gary Shanley, Mike Binder, right. uh, Bruce Baum, Bob Saget, yep. these comics and writing and, and sharing ideas and working, selling jokes and doing things. It's a bit of a golden age during It really the, was. The, 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 the early 80s, uh, I graduated in 81, and moved out to LA yeah. then, and that was really the start of the uh, the comedy club craze. There was there were a couple of clubs here in, in the Detroit area, mm -hmm. Cleveland, Toronto. You know, it used to be just New York and LA, and then yeah. they started popping up all over the country. And it seemed like every sitcom coming out in that period was a, based around a comedian. Like yeah, Tim I mean, Allen, of course. Yeah, and Roseanne. And, right, uh, exactly. That that became a big thing. They realized even going back, Mark and Mindy realizing the the, the craziness with right. Robin Williams. Right, and it was like, wow, how can we build a show we know people are we know they're funny yeah most of them yeah they couldn't act you know but you didn't necessarily need that because if it's funny right it's funny Jerry Seinfeld people, we, right yeah, yeah, perfect not, example um 
And so, so you're out in LA. How, how did your first sort of breaks come along? Well, it was it was uh, it's it's not an easy business to crack. Unless, you know, and it's some, something I tell younger kids who are coming out. It takes time. Yeah. Um, uh, it took me a few years. I, I tried to get in on the ground floors, do whatever you can. I started working as a PA, production assistant. I was getting coffee, making, you know, delivering lunches, okay. uh, dropping scripts off at two in the morning at people's houses. But I was on a show, or I was on stage, or I was involved with a production, and okay. it was learning. It was seeing, um, being around cameramen and asking how they got started, what do they do, how did they get going in the industry, talking to assistant directors, uh, what's the path that they followed, watching directors work, watching how they worked with actors. And it was a great learning experience just to be around and through osmosis, just absorb what I can. Right. And Were there a couple of uh, nuggets of advice that stand out that were actually practical for you? Well, I had a teacher, actually, University of Michigan who said he goes if you're gonna go to LA don't come back after a year saying ah, I really couldn't do it he right goes, he goes it's not about what you know it's about who you know and that's an, it sounds cliche but he goes it's all about relationships it's about getting to know people and that just takes a couple of years just to be working somewhere and get to know people because and that's what ended up happening where I worked on a show I worked as a PA on a show called uh, um, Oh, oh, Madeline with Madeline Kahn. It was I the first foray yeah. into television, really. Okay. And went for a year, um, canceled on ABC, I think it was. And it was pretty funny, um, but but didn't make it. But the producers, and one of the producers I had worked for, um, liked the work I did, even though it was just being a runner and stuff, realized, oh, this, you know, he knows what he's doing. And I was hanging out on the stage and getting to know other. And so those writers and producers went on to other shows and then brought me along. Then I got hired on the next show. I see. And worked in the office. And then he was a guy who ended up doing, I ended up working for a writer, Barbara Corday, who uh, became president of Columbia Television. Okay. Then she um, said, knew I want, you know, didn't want to be a runner the rest of my life, but sure. she was like, hey, he knew I was interested. And she helped me get into the Director's Guild as a stage manager on a show. And that was like the opening break. And uh, I had known her for a couple of years, worked as her assistant for a year. Um, had worked for her on shows and it was like oh this kid's good he's got it and uh, we'll give him a break and, and that's how I got going okay and um, obviously uh, you know and after our first phone conversation I told everybody I'm like this is just the <laughs> nicest guy you never know I'm talking to this uh, big shot how much how far do you think that goes just being a nice person in general or isn't it are most people pretty nice out in the business you know what there, some are, divas, there are there's a there's a lot of divas there's a lot of there's a lot of a-holes. Sure. There's a lot, you know, you, you see them all. Um, you know, one of, the, one of the interesting things, people always, when I started directing, I had gotten that comment. They're like, wow, you like that fun and you're very loosey-goosey. And, and I, would, I always compared it to being the player's coach, you know, and in a basketball team or a football team where, where the players relate to them because I'd been there. I'd right. been, been in the trenches with them. I knew what it was like on stage. And, and I had worked under a lot of directors as their ADs, uh, stage managers, assistants, and saw good things done and bad things done. People that screamed and... Were, were tyrants and wanted things done this way and yeah. needed it now, which happens. Yeah. Um, and people give them leeway because, oh, it's the creative process. I never understood doing that in a comedy. Right. Not when you wanted to have fun and make people laugh. And so 
I always try to have that attitude on stage where I'll take ideas from anybody. It doesn't matter if it's the prop guy, if he's got a funny idea, if it's funny, we're going to put it in. Because that's the way we used to write, you know. It, mm-hmm. If something's funny, you put it in. It didn't matter where the, the idea Beatles came from. The Beatles used to from. do that, too. Whoever comes yeah. up with the best idea, right. we're going to use it. That's what's going in. And so, learned a lot from what not to do from bad directors and then learned what to do from good directors and hopefully just kept that going. Okay, and what was your first kind of big scary job? Was it as an AD on a oh, project? Oh, God, there was or? plenty of scary jobs. <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah, it's, it's kind of weird being a... Uh, uh, stage manager um i started off in the day um in sitcoms where i was on the floor in a headset director sat in a booth and snapped the show and and the technical directors producers were all up in a booth and i was on the floor running everything so you'd have these big name actors and you'd have a director yelling in your ear tell that did it today not blah 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 and you'd have to translate it and say excuse me the director would like you to stand over here say it this way you know and it was like oh my gosh I can't believe I'm talking to Madeline Kahn or Bette Miller or these big names and who we're just doing a job and that's all it was and, if, and that's what you have to remember you think of it um, you'd get a little starstruck on stage yeah. it's like oh my, I can't believe I'm here on you know stage 25 at Universal or whatever right, right. And, and you realize oh, people go there every day and that becomes their job and I realize that now when people come to the Big Bang set I see it I see them go, oh my god there's Sheldon's chair you yes. know there's the couch right, and, right. and there's a reverence <laughs> and they don't want to go near it and although it's the number we'd like nope get your picture sit in a Oh, that's awesome. Get your picture taken, and you realize that what a big deal it is for people. It's special. And on the tour, it's the number one uh, stop on the tour at Warner Brothers. They, uh, uh, in the summer, um, when we're not in production, they actually put a, a glass uh, uh, partition in front of it so people can still see it and they oh, walk hilarious. the tours through and stuff. And it's pretty funny. Uh, that's hilarious. It's pretty funny. Okay, so, um, you know, I, I was looking over the, some of the work you've done. It looked like some of your earlier work was doing uh, stuff for Disney, doing mm-hmm. Waverly Place and Hannah mm-hmm. Montana. Were those your, and uh, Sabrina the Teenage Witch, were those your earliest director gigs? They, they weren't. No, actually they weren't. Okay. Um, I started out, uh, my very first break was doing a show, Malcolm and Eddie with, uh, I remember that with show. Eddie Griffin, Malcolm Jamal Warner. Yes. And uh, I started doing, oh, God, the mid-90s, I think it was, 94, okay. 95, somewhere around there, and became the somewhat regular director there and, okay. and went on to other shows. The, the Disney stuff came a little bit later, actually, again, talking about relationships, because there was a, uh, uh, a producer I knew who I'd worked for on a show for ABC. That got canceled after a year, mm-hmm. but uh, we stayed in touch. And he was doing the Wizards of Waverly Place. And he, he wanted me to do the pilot. I couldn't do it. I was okay. busy doing something else. And I said, but if the show goes, I'll, I'll do a couple. And so he goes, I'd love to have you come in and do the first couple of episodes because you could set the tone for how the show should be run. Because they, there was a lot of kids. There was effects sure. and magic. And, and they'd want to do it in front of a live audience. And you had young actors who were very green. Right. And... And so I was like, sure, I'll gladly do that. And I had a blast doing it. Because again, and so from there, I ended up, I would do shows for producers that I knew. Steve Peterman was a friend of mine who was running Hannah Montana Mm -hmm. at the time. So he said, well, if you're doing Wizard, would you come over and do a couple here? I was like, sure, okay. (laughs) Because again, I knew, I didn't want to.
want to work for someone I didn't know and listen to someone either screaming or yelling or you have to do it this way. I was like, no, I had a relationship. Right. Yeah, I'll do it with you. We'll have some fun. And it was it was something that I did in a lot of the summers. Okay. And now out of curiosity, it, it sounds almost like um, you're sort of weren't necessarily steering your projects, but they were kind of coming to you. Is that accurate? Or I guess you, so, yeah. I mean, Or did you have um, an agent actively trying to get you certain constantly, projects? Constantly, you know, you're, the, the hard part about the business is, you know, I worked so many years as AD stage manager where you're on a show and it gets canceled after six episodes. Yeah. Or at Christmas time, hey, Merry Christmas, the show's done. And mm. it's like, now what do we do? Yeah. And that's just the, the, the business. Right. It just, you never know what's going to survive. Um, and so you just are constantly looking on for that next job. You're staying in touch and calling people you used to work for. Hey, I heard you're doing a pilot. I'd love to be involved. I see. Um, and you have to constantly do that. And even as a director, um, I would do various shows and always looking to get invited back and do that show. But my agents were saying, hey, so-and-so contacted us and said, hey, we'd like you to do this. And if we could fit it in, I'd fit it in. And to me, it was work. It was didn't matter. It wasn't about the quality of the show. Right. It was If it was something I enjoyed or didn't enjoy, it was, it was work. And it kept me in other in front of people's eyes yes. and different networks saying oh yeah we like him we like the work he did there right. and they get invited back and you're always looking for that next job okay so. um what was your was uh, Courtney Jim your first really big long long running hit show? Well, uh, actually, uh, yeah. I mean, uh, like I say, I would I would do shows, do sets of three at a time, and right. do different things. I was kind of the house director on a show called Yes Dear for yes. years on CBS um, with Michael Malley and Anthony Clark, and um, that ran for six years or okay. so, seven years. You Lots know, of, canceled, canceled twice, okay, and brought back to life huh. because of of of. Uh, residual uh, I mean people seeing it in reruns and um, it, it was just one of those shows that just kept performing at a certain level and that they do it and I would do about half their shows every year I would go in and do three a set of three or six go off do some other shows come back I had a great relationship with the writers and the creators of that show and did that like I said having that as a home base for about six years you know five six years was great then according to Jim I did a set of those and over a span of two three years where I did 30 of them or so. Okay. And, but I was, I did King of Queens. I oh, did, great show. you know, different, yeah. you know, we do three, four episodes of that and rules of engagement and this, and was so it, I was constantly doing is stuff. Is it hard to, uh, you know, that's an interesting thing about TV directors is so, uh, Big Bang is, which we're going to get to in a sec, is uh -huh. almost, it's almost an anomaly to have one person direct almost every episode. Yeah. What's it like going on to a show that's not your show? It's tough. You're in, a guest. You're a guest right. in, in their house. And, How do the actors and, handle that? Uh, uh, well, what you, it's hard because you have to win over the respect. They're always looking at you like, uh, uh, what's this guy going to do? Yeah. Um, and you only have a week to do it, which is not a lot. Now, at the end of that first week, you're always like, oh, I wish I would have done this. Now that I know how we're, I, I wanted to do this. Right. And hopefully you, you, do, you don't make enough waves. It's not your show. You're not going to reinvent the wheel. Right. And so you just try to keep the show going in the style that it works. And so you have to be adaptable. And that's what I see some directors don't do. Um, they have their style and that's it. Yeah. And that doesn't always work. It's the, it's the, you know, the square peg in the round hole. And I always went into shows, had a meeting with the producers and would say, all right, how do you like to run the show? Do you like, you want me giving all the notes? Do we talk about things beforehand? Do you right. want me dealing with uh, uh, the, you know, this and that in aspect camera wise, give me my notes for, and, 
you would like to, and it goes back to the bad coaching analogy, do you want to run a fast-paced offense or a slow-down offense? Right. Because I can do either one. I just need to know beforehand. Yeah. And I, and executive producers who ran the show always kind of, whoa, that's refreshing to hear. And they didn't feel you were doing battle with the director as opposed to just making the show better than what it was. But it, it's rare nowadays that one director stays with one show. It used to be somewhat of the norm okay. back in the early days That's true. I love Lucy, television. I think, here, I, you know, yeah. All in the Family but had even, a lot of the right, same Right, John Rich would do All in the Family. Yes. Uh, um, you know, Jimmy Burroughs would do All right. the Cheers the and cheers. Frasers. Right. He was the, he's the man. Mm-hmm. And... Um, uh, it got a, when when it, it started expanding when you had more than just the three networks and you had UPN coming in and the WB network and all of a sudden all these other things it was you, you had you had a lot of filtration of different directors and people weren't always available to run a whole series and I see. so uh, that's why we did different group you know you'd hire someone for three then do three somewhere else or do one and they and for new showrunners it would be like oh I because if they didn't want to hire someone for twelve episodes then have to fire them and pay yeah. them off for twelve episodes I see. So, so it's actually not unlike what a writer has to do for a show is he has to write according to the yeah. show's parameters. Yeah, yeah you know. Can't, it, make, can't reinvent the character. You're not gonna, right. All of a sudden, you're not going to do a different Seinfeld right. episode that's very serious. You're, you're, you're going to want to do it as seinfeld as possible. Right. So writers always have to, you know, when you do, that's the thing with writers, writing that spec script, really important because the producer of the show is not, they're not looking necessarily, is he funny? I mean, that's always part of it. But does he have the voice yes. of the show? Yes. Can, you know, um, you, you can write really funny jokes, but if it's not right coming out of Seinfeld's mouth or Elaine's mouth, right. or, it's not going to work. And so they're, they're always very uh, uh, hands-on on if, if, they, if you've captured the voice and the essence of what the show is. And the same with directing. You're not going to come in, and if, if people like, I mean, if you look at a Big Bang episode, it's very quick pace in the writing. Mm-hmm. It's very quick pace in the editing. Mm-hmm. There's not a lot of stuff that breathes. We don't do music and so you're not going to come in and do these long panning opening shots right. and you know let someone walk into it that's not our style and if you try to do that you're not going to last there right so well now that we're on the subject of the big bang theory tell us how you <laughs> became involved in that show uh now on its 10th season i believe yeah, 10th season okay um it's you know uh relationships it was uh again i keep going back to that i'd been working for i don't know how many years directing i actually had a meeting with chuck Lorre. wanted me to do some uh he had heard of me i'd done something else i'd done a lot of shows for cbs okay and they were doing two and a half men at mm-hmm. the time great show and um pam fryman who's a, who i know is a great director um was actually had been there was leaving the show and they were looking for someone else and i couldn't do it okay. i my schedule i couldn't but i we had a they had asked they inquired about it and couldn't do it and so the name was out there and then when Big Bang came along um, with another show I they asked me to come in and, and meet with uh, meet about it and they had son- seen a couple episodes of things I'd done one of them being the King of Queens episode and we'd done some location things and I had a meeting with Chuck Laurie and Bill Prady who yes. co-created the show mm-hmm. actually another Detroit area guy oh I didn't know that yeah and um what was interesting, you know, we t- and again, went in and talked about it and said, how do you like to run a show? This is, you know, I, I can do that. I understand. And Chuck Lorre is, you know, a lot of history and a lot of great shows on yeah. the air. And um, 
it was nice because in the meeting we talked about style and about making things happen on the show what he was looking for the relationship of the actors they had, they had done I, Jim Burroughs had done the pilot and could, wasn't going to do the series but they were looking for someone who they were hiring different directors but I did the first three of them mm-hmm. out of the box for him and part of it was Bill Prady the relationship thing again he was he saw my resume and was like Detroit you Tiger fan and we talked about Tiger baseball for uh, about 10 minutes of the sure. interview and Chuck Laurie's like going what yeah. the hell is this but that <laughs> you know, they were like oh there's there's someone we can talk to right. about about things and he understands uh, sensibilities of one another and that I think that helped get the job and then I did the first three episodes um, they hired some different directors I went off and did some other things and but came back and uh, the actors were like no this is the guy you know this mm-hmm. is who we relate to best Chuck and I got along on how things would work and then I became the regular director at the end of the year the wor- first year was kind of weird it was the year of the writer's strike we only right. did uh, like we shut down after I think it was 12 13 episodes okay and then uh, came back after the strike was over and we were able to do like another six episodes okay which was actually very important for the for the life of the show because at that time a lot of shows that shut down didn't come back at all right and just faded away or were canceled we came back after the strike and because our numbers the first year were okay so so yeah but coming back after, and having fresh material people were like oh they've been watching reruns for so long right and it was like we're one of the few shows that could go right back into production and all of a sudden the ratings took a nice little jump and said oh people like this and helped get us pick up for the next year and then they and then it just went crazy well what was your reaction to the idea of a show about a bunch of geek physicists nothing well anything like this had ever been another thought been of done. before <laughs> but you know you don't you think of it as if you look at it mm-hmm. if you really look at the show i mean you can say it's about that and it's just as seinfeld was about nothing that's or, true or cheers is about being in a bar yeah. or new girl is about her in a relationship but the but the fact of the matter is, you had Jim Parsons and Johnny Galecki who had this wonderful chemistry, mm-hmm. and people w- wanted to watch them. Yes. And then I realized, like at the time, you know, CBS was always thought of as the Tiffany Network and and skewing to the older audiences. Yeah. And here they had a young show um, for them, but it was people related to these characters. It didn't matter necessarily that they were geeks. That was, that's part of it. And that was fun. That gave us sure. ample time for stories and everything else, but they could relate to them. And in that first year I heard so many times, um, you know, I know someone just like <laughs> Sheldon. I know someone just like Raj, you know, Wallowitz, oh, my cousin is just yes. like him. It was never me. I'm just like, it was always, right. I know someone just like it. My brother is just like that. And you right. look at them and you know, they're wearing a flag t-shirt sure. you know geeky signs like no it's not you at all no 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 but people just related to the characters and uh and it didn't matter what age yeah I, I i remember my daughter was playing softball and her coach came up to me and this is the last guy i would ever think had seen the show yeah you know maybe his daughter had seen the show but i and he came up to me and he goes i love that show and i was like really you watch it and that's when i realized wow this is connecting to a lot of people sure a lot of different people um now i know you guys i've seen some of the extras on one of the dvd sets i know you guys have a physicist on hand who writes all the equations on the work. yes yes Do you guys have a geek expert who decides what board games are going to play whether or not they're going to argue about star uh, trek uh, one and star funny. trek five yeah, well <laughs> if, you, if you met our writer's room um there's pretty much a lot of geeks in there okay. watch some of the uh, interviews at comic-con all the writers have their own we have a uh, you have the star trek 
geeks, right. you know, Bill Prady's very much a Star Trek fan. Okay. Uh, Eric Kaplan, who knows a lot about uh, games and boards and, and okay. off-the-wall stuff. And so they all have their strengths and, and weaknesses, right. um, whether it be film or television or games um, that they used to play. And we, I mean, I remember early on, I remember one of the first episodes of doing... Uh, dance party or da- you know one of the games you're dancing on a board oh yeah yeah and we had no, you know it was like oh wait one of the who wrote this come on down show us how it's done <laughs> and we you know we'd ask the writers to come down it was like whose idea was this show us what what needs to be done oh, and awesome. one of the great things i did there was a game we had to play one time the guys were involved in a i forget what video game it was mm-hmm. but it was like we wanted it we were very they're very accurate all the boards are accurate yes. it's all real stuff and they, we were very concerned about being very true to all these things and because we would get letters from Absolutely. the geeks yes. saying that is not how you that's not the right dice that you use in this game right so everything was always researched really deeply yes so when we would play a game it was like i actually would make the actors play the game and then i would watch them at lunchtime just all right play this because if you're playing a car racing game, your body actions are different as opposed to a fighting game or how rapid you are. And we wanted everything to be accurate. And that was one of the fun things we would do. We'd bring the game down, yeah. play it at lunch, get into it. And I'd sit and watch how it was done. And that's what we made sure we replayed when we were actually shooting the show. My favorites, so. of course, are the ones where they play Dungeons and Dragons. Yeah. And I love, I just saw the one where, where um, <clears throat> excuse me, Sheldon and Bernadette play Dungeons and Dragons. Oh, yes. That was yes. a sweet, a such sweet, a sweet, sweet. episode. I, I love it. Um, <clears throat> excuse me. Now, would you agree that like Nimoy and Spock and Jonathan Harris and Dr. Smith and Michael Richards and Kramer <laughs> and Carol O'Connor and Archie that Sheldon and Jim Parsons is one of the all-time perfect yeah. marriages of actor and role that there's just nothing else like when did you kind of think that that might be happening wow the first episode you, you know it was he was in tuned both of them both jim and johnny were so in tune to to way the play those characters okay and then the writers and it's a marriage yes. it's not just an actor i, I mean of course. i always i always hate that thing when an actor says oh my character wouldn't do this and it was like no 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 this was this was some writer's idea first right and this thing was developed and created and then it and then it grows over time a char- i mean and look at the show itself what sheldon was like watch those first three four episodes right. uh of what he was like to what he is now yeah i mean characters and people grow and things and so um the writing is very important um you discover things that first year oh that he's uh, uh, he should be more this way. Right. Uh, he, he does jokes better this way. Physically, it's better this way. Um, it happens all the time. And so, but you knew immediately that those two, they were so identifiable and people just cheered for them and wanted them to succeed and felt for them. There was a compassion that you wouldn't see in a lot of other characters. Yeah. And, and, Jim and I, I loved working with him all the time in developing this, and it was it was something that. Well, what do you think? You'd have the discussion. They would be like, "Well, as as an actor, I might want to do this, but I don't know if Sheldon would do that." Right. You know, um, and oftentimes, and you'd bring the writers into the discussion because it would be like, "Well, you've written it this way, but we we're having trouble maybe on stage developing this because it doesn't feel right." Right. Um, would this happen? You know. 
at Comic-Con? What did, what did you guys see, you know? And you'd bring that information into the character and try and, try and develop it some way. Well, what's funny is it's, it's a good thing the show has such longevity because before nine seasons, I never would have believed Sheldon had coitus. Yeah, but but, I, but right. I believe that after nine years, yeah. He, you followed it. Yeah, yeah, you went along with it. Right, exactly. you, wouldn't, you, wouldn't, you didn't want to jump that shark in season three. It wouldn't have, you know. It wouldn't have been believable. Not at all, not so, at all. Yeah. But you followed along. And, and what I love, one of the other great things was, you know, Kuthapali character. Yeah. Not being able to talk to women unless right. you had alcohol. And so we were always conscious, all right, we've got to write this in where they're either at the bar or make sure he has a beer. Right. Or then they did jokes about it, him going to get something so he could talk to someone. Mm-hmm. And then the great episode discovering that, that he can talk to women without alcohol. And that was it, like six or seven? Yeah, it was yeah five, one, six, yeah, yeah, somewhere around there. And it was great. And it, yes. was, it was a natural, I mean, one of the great things about this show is it's it's never gone too fast. They, they right. Things have grown naturally and it would that was a great element and you look at Wallowitz's character you know he was he thought he was the great womanizer right. of all time he who's the last person you would think would be married first <laughs> it would have been his character yes but it worked out the writing oh we found out send him on a date and it worked out with that character and we mm-hmm. had some growth and it, and they developed it naturally and so it was never written as a stunt and right. anything was never written just to get ratings or let's do something different and so what are, I've heard that the 10th is the last season or is that not true? I no, mean, I, I, you don't know. They, this is, the, this a, is the last year of their contract. Okay. They, they, they had, we had signed a three-year contract after uh, seven okay. uh, for seasons eight, nine, and ten. Uh, we don't know. They're talking now. I'm sure the ratings are still unbelievably great. And besides football, um, it's Do you want to keep going? I would love to keep going. And, and again, because, you know, if you look back at a lot of shows at the end of their run, you could see it was it was time to go. Not it, this it, one. Uh, not this one. This it, one's the, actually got a new life, I think, with you, Baby Wallowitz, with, got, with uh, Sheldon's right, character, with so the marriage of... Uh, yeah, you've got so many this growth <laughs> of these characters that, again, Again, that wasn't you never felt forced it always felt natural yeah and it was like oh let's see what happens and i would i I'd i love feel like to it's almost it. a new show now because now you've got all these new right. stories to tell right um, and i've never i've never i've never gotten bored i really enjoy going to that stage sure. every day and that's not always the case on shows it's like okay let's get through this episode and it's thanksgiving break is coming up or you know whatever and this they're going to be rewriting this forever this is never this show has never felt this way it's always like what's next what's next and the actors still feel that way and yeah. then we'll see there's negotiations that are well beyond my pay grade that, uh, <laughs> that that are going on you know so hopefully I mean I would love to see another couple of years out sure. of this it well, certainly could sustain it even in today's day and age like with Gilmore Girls wouldn't it be conceivable to take a year or two off and then come back might be and, something new you know yeah. five years ago no one ever ever heard about binge watching that right. was something new right and who knows um, maybe it is you take a year off and come back maybe I don't know it could be but I'd love to I'd love to not see it uh, I, I don't think it's time is over yet I hope not at all excellent well Mark I think we've taken enough of your time we really appreciate oh, talking my pleasure Thanks I hope that was the, enough oh it was great thank anything you anything else because I can just uh, Denver did you you, I, you got any questions because awesome. I can BS for a lot I, the only thing I, I guess one more small <laughs> question was um, in ter- what is it like being a comedy director as opposed to being a dramatic director just a, what, what is unique to being a comedy uh, director well you know what uh, it, it's it's 
it's something I really love doing. And they always say, oh, comedy, you know, drama's easy, comedy is hard. And you see that. I've seen sure. it where, where we've seen certain great actors as a guest come in or from the film side of it mm -hmm. as opposed to the television side of it come in and not be able to do it. Because we're doing the great thing about the comedy of, of the multicam. Uh, the half hours we're still doing a play we don't think of it as doing a television show necessarily or a film yeah you're doing a play and you're doing it in front of a live audience right. and it is something that is still thought of as old school or whatever but it's actually not there's nothing more um, uh, fulfilling than at the end of the night taking bows and going wow we completed a show yeah and it couldn't have been better or or maybe it could have when you get into editing you're like ah we should have done this joke or whatever and there's always going to be that that feeling on things but doing comedy i mean i go in certain days and we're playing ping pong at lunch and then we're you know goofing around and and we're working you're, you're doing your work but you're like wow we're trying to make people laugh yeah and there's no better and you're getting paid to do it yeah it's like this is great and it's why you know it goes back to the days of grade school trying to make you know <laughs> the team mrs miller laugh you know right. not get caught or the other kids laugh mm. and it was it's it's fulfilling it's like god i could do this and we did it in grade school we did it in high school we did it in college and it's like now i'm getting paid to do it and there's, there's nothing better yes that's so the message is goof off in school more often kids yes, and kids, who knows yes. what forget, you forget math to. and science <laughs> you want to blow hand farts you know and, and make as many funny noises as you can oh that's awesome you know? alright well so. thanks again Mark. okay my Appreciate pleasure it. this was great alright good enjoy it thanks mm -hmm.